Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, welcome to this episode, Two Cents, on the Australian Investors Podcast. It's good to be back. Good to be back. Hiatus. Short, yeah, short hiatus. Um, Some kilometers traveled. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. Um, been reminded pretty heavily in the last few days from a few friends and listeners. Yes, it's uh, it's been too long between drinks for us, mate. Um, I feel like I haven't seen you for a very long time. Um, a busy man, you're uh, on... On Ausbiz, so oh, yeah. a full I hold mainstream <laughs> celebrity now and up at South by Southwest. And South, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Sydney for a week <clears throat> for the Rask event, which is amazing. Um, and you can watch that online for anyone that hasn't watched it. It's on YouTube. I heard there were a few gags about me there were, during that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I well, listen. Do I need to well, listen? when they stopped you at the, uh, the New South Wales border with Victoria and they said, no, no, no. Go back. And then there were a few people in the crowd that came up to me and they were like, oh, Dr. Andrew Derrimuth here. And I said, oh, you mean Drew? And they said, who? <laughs> um, Still. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, from Sydney. It'll be time for a name change. Went straight to um, to Bali. Went from the domestic terminal, walked across to the international and I went straight to Bali. Went to Changu. Have you been in Bali before? Not for a long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm going to show I'm my talking. age. I'm pretty sure there's new suburbs that I've never heard of in Bali now. <laughs> well, at least that's where all the Westerners go, take their Instagram shots. Um, Changu's lovely. It's very, it's kind of like there's a lot of wonderful restaurants and good places. It's much nicer than, say, Kuda or places like that, which have the reputation. Um, and it's a good place to, you still get great coffee like you would in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, wherever you are. Same quality of food, like super high quality. Uh, people are lovely. It's not as cheap as I thought, though. You can pay $13 for a cocktail, for example, Australian. Yeah. So when you think about that, it's not that cheap. That's about half the price. Well, depends which, yeah, which bar, you going bar you go to. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's very normal price, twenty over $20 for a cocktail these days, inflation. Yeah. The Says the guy cost. that owns yeah. the bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, two yeah, bars. Two bars now. Yeah. Um, there'll be a, what, can you say? Yeah. A new, I think, uh, opening within the next two weeks upstairs from- Driver lane. Hmm. Does it make you a bar tycoon? Uh, How many do you have to have to be a tycoon? Probably more than two. 
Maybe does the one in the office count? That's a little, you know, yeah, that little like trolley little that you roll around. Yeah. Um, yeah, Drew, Drew just, Drew just walks around offering people shots at nine thirty in the <laughs> <do> morning. <laughs> just whiskey. Just close your ears. No, he doesn't. Definitely doesn't. Policy here in our businesses. <laughs> does definitely not do that. But anyway, um, yeah. Then back straight from Bali, it seems. Went home for basically a day and then straight back to Sydney again for South by Southwest, which is- the- Is that like a creatives and, mm. and content? Yeah, I was figuring it out as I went along, but- Because um, <laughs> massive in Austin in the US, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. It's probably the- Some people have told me that are more informed than me. They think it's like the new version of like TED Talks. And when you yeah. speak at South by Southwest, it's like you are the the person that speaks and presents on groundbreaking things. And Did you speak? I d- spoke, but- <laughs> Not groundbreaking. I uh, I was very fortunate. Thank you to Lauren and the team from uh, uh, Intellectual Property Australia or IP Australia. Yep. Um, the governing body uh, within the government uh, was. I was very delighted. They flew me to Sydney, and I was moderating a panel of um, on intellectual Marco property from Canberra. Hmm? Yeah, Kimberly, Professor of Law, um, and Tracy from IP Australia. So it was like a wonderful panel. We talked about uh, intellectual property. Interesting thing. I'll give you something. Something you know. I am, a, about? <clears throat> I, mean. I am not a lawyer. <laughs> However, <laughs> I can tell you one thing. Rowan Ask. Is- <laughs> yeah. uh, LLB on the end of my name. Uh, so JD, thank you very much. Um, no, so, yeah, the uh, the interesting thing is only 4% of businesses in Australia have a trademark. And that's a really concerning thing. It's very low compared to OECD countries because basically what it means is people that run a business think that they can get a domain name or they can get a, a business name. And a business name, I'm not a lawyer, ask your lawyer, but a business name does not protect you in any single way. No, we had not an issue in recently way. as well. Yeah. yeah. I've, uh, I heard another interesting stat, which was that of businesses that infringe other people's copyright or intellectual property, sorry, um, 46% of them have to go back to square one. Yeah. So they go straight back to the start line, completely rename, completely rebrand, completely change corporate entity. Um, so 46% just go click, done. Yeah. Um, and the way that we're living now in the world that we're in, you can't p- upload a, a logo, a design, anything without artificial intelligence detecting the presence of infringers on the internet and being like, that is a protected logo. That is uh, something. And what was really interesting about our conversation there was that nowadays with apps like Midjourney, I don't know if you've ever used Midjourney before. So Midjourney is a thing where you can use words and artificial intelligence creates the image. Yeah. And so then the question becomes, if you create an image using AI, who owns the copyright? Like, sorry, not the copyright. Yeah. Who, who, who is the owner of that creative? You do. Well, do you or does the engine own it? I think you do. Well, this is the question, right? What about, can I give you another one then? <laughs> Seeing that uh, Professor uh, <laughs> Derrimuth is in the office. Um, let's imagine that the Zuck comes out, Facebook's um, God in chief. Um, Mark Zuckerberg comes out and he says, the metaverse is here, guys. And you say, okay, great. Then you wander into the metaverse with your goggles and you create something within the metaverse. Is that your intellectual property or is that the Zuck? Is it his metaverse? It's his metaverse. Then it's probably his. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But if you're creating AI for your own, in your own universe. So you're saying like AI is like a shovel. Yeah. I think if you're paying to be in someone else's metaverse, if you do anything in there, they're probably going to own part of it. Okay. But if- if you're just creating So the metaverse it. is like a world that you step into. Anything yeah. that goes on in there is mine. 
is that is theirs. But if you get uh, your paintbrush, aka Midjourney, or your ChatGPT, that's yours. Exactly same as if you'd used MS Paint to create a logo. You're just <laughs> using AI to use MS Paint. Well, that's that's showing my age too. Here we go. I'm going to hear that I'm incredibly wrong on all of that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm right into Sorry, Dr. Mark. Andrew Deremuth at. Um, Thank me later, Mark. Yeah, I'll take the check. <laughs> so. Um, so obviously we have a bit of fun here on the two cents every Saturday morning, 7 a.m. But uh, Drew Meredith here from Waddle Partners Financial Planning based in Melbourne. But you can get in touch with him or the team anywhere from around Australia or even international. Do you have any international clients? Yeah, we have quite a few, mainly kind of expats, UK, Singapore, Hong Kong. Yeah. And then they um, they have assets and whatever in Australia or tax Yeah, yeah usually Australians that are overseas for a few years. In, yeah. Yeah, different, whether C-suites or yep. um, all kinds of- Expats. Yeah, cool. So get in touch with Water Partners. Um, I noticed you've got a buy, hold, sell here in the- uh, <laughs> I was just following your lead with uh, being on TV this week. I got a text oh. from Jamie, my business partner, about 10 o'clock at night and he had Ozbiz up on the, Did the he big really? screen. Yeah. yeah. What was it? 10 o'clock at night, that's an unusual time for Jamie looking yeah, at the t- screen. Maybe that's just when he texted. It could have been later that's on. That's a bit sus if you ask yeah. me. Um, but there was a- <laughs> um, on replay. Someone did write in and they said, feedback delight. <laughs> this was this was an actual. If you want to write into uh, Drew and I, or anyone that's on the RAS podcast, you can do that with the link in your show notes. It says ask a question. You can select which podcast you want. This one's obviously the investors podcast, and it said the call October seventeenth. Exceptional coverage of stocks, very detailed and balanced. Proud to be a RAS member. Represent well. Thank you, feedback delight. That's lovely. Credit to you. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. Um, the call. They, they actually emailed me during the week too. Did they? Would you like to join us in December? Yeah. What kind of stocks are you going to talk about? I don't know. Is it- You should go should on- I? Wait. Wait. That's the question. Maybe we could put that to yeah. listeners. Should yeah. I go on Ausbiz? Should- Should- As which personality? <laughs> That's the question. So, um, you should go on on the 14th. See if you can get on the call on the 14th. 10 stocks. Of December. 14th of December because I'm back on. Maybe that's when they're trying to get me. You should definitely try and do this because then we could basically do this on air and see- <laughs> <laughs> how good it can be. Um, but it, go and check out Ausbiz. It's uh, available at ausbiz.co, I think. How long were you in the makeup chair for? Oh, I was sweating. <laughs> but if you didn't notice, I'm a bit tanned. I've got a bit sunburned in Bali, so my white skin. Anyway, buy, hold, sell. You've got a bit of a buy, hold, sell segment. Here we go. Yeah, I'll start with the easy one first, which is, I mean, it's a tough one this week. A stock is CSL. So a lot of questions. It probably leads into another discussion too. Oh, Jesus. Are you actually going to ask me buy, hold, sell CSL? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. That's why buy hold sell is you got you're live on you're live on air now. I hate buy hold sell. You need to answer this question. <laughs> I, even though I you just I, did it. Yeah, even on though I have TV for ten stocks. Even though I have to do this as part of my job, I don't actually like it because I think it's not good. But okay, <laughs> you have to do it. Okay, well the stock is down. Holy heck! Okay, here's my technical analysis, Drew. The stock has fallen. Uh, it was at a support. <laughs> Right, here we let me try my technical analysis. Here we go. Technical analysis or trading stocks. Here's Double my bottom. Here's my here's my thing. Ready? Wait, where's that that noise? Is it which one's the ominous sounding noise? No, here we go. No, is it this one, Drew? Okay, here we go. And guess what day? Thursday, the 14th of December. Are you serious? I am. Reply to them now. Say, I would love to come on the show. Are you serious? Yes. Do it. Let's do it. <laughs> do it. I they don't hear this episode, so they won't know. Anyway, I'm going to apply my technical analysis now that we've got the ominous sounding music. If you ever hear the ominous sounding music, you know what comes next is not really real. Um, the stock was at, 
is it support or resistance? I don't know. One of the words that the people that use on TV, uh, it is up the top. And then it is. So CSL was hovering around $300 a share, which seems like a ceiling to me on the technical analysis charts. Head, head and shoulders, head and, and now it has fallen down to $233. So by my reckoning, that would be a downtrend. So it is in a downtrend at $233. Therefore, bye. Bye. And there's a reason for it, which okay. seems a bit overdone. Maybe this is a long version okay. of buy, sell, hold. We can so, wait till after the buy, sell, hold. Okay. Now we're going back to the, the serious side yeah, yeah. of the show. Go on. Am I going back to the buy, sell, hold? Oh, well, okay. We're still in the buy, hold, sell. All right. Go. Uh, NBA season. Do you follow the basketball? Not at all, but I would say buy. All right. That's a good one. Didn't, uh, is it the Phoenix Suns? Phoenix Suns. They got sold recently. Uh, yeah, they may have been sold. Yeah. yeah. And I was chatting to um, Jonathan Boyer from Boyer Research in New York City. I was actually chatting to him just yesterday or the day before. And uh, shout out to the Australian Shareholders Association. They're holding their uh, uh, Virtual Investor Summit next week. Yeah, we're on. Yep. Um, virtual Investor Summit next week. Um, you can get tickets. If you use the coupon code RASCCOMP, all in one word, R-A-S-K-C-O-M-P, you get it for free. So there's only a limited number of seats that go for free. RASCCOMP. ASA Virtual Investor Summit, check it out. It's next Thursday and Friday, uh, and it's all online. Check it out. Anyway, um, Jonathan Boyer was saying that there is um, a few companies in the US that are now pursuing this and have assets that hold things like hockey teams, basketball, yeah. football, like they're owned by people and businesses, and a lot of private equity activity in these industries. So I would say on that count, on that basis, very limited, shallow research, done nothing in the lead up to walking in here today because I didn't know we we're going to do this. Bye. And Disney just released their ESPN numbers, if you saw that too. So oh, really? Yeah, I'm a hard buy on NBA. Hard buy. Which is, what team do you support? Miami Heat. The Heat? Yes. Wow. Okay. Like when LeBron was there, did you jump on the bandwagon? No, I didn't. I was pre-LeBron. Okay. That shows my age also. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Never ask an investor his age. Yeah. Um, okay. And buy, sell, hold. Getting L into summer. Linen. Linen. Oh, I thought and you meant like be, linen for your bed. Um, yeah. No, I was thinking linen sheets or linen shirts. Linen for your bed. Linen yeah, shorts. absolutely. I did buy some linen shorts in Bali, actually. Of course you did. I'll give you a pro tip to anyone that uh, <laughs> shops in Bali at one of these markets is- if you ask them, did you make this? Everyone says yes. yes. <laughs> and then you go, okay, can I, I will barter for this. I will pay you $20 Australian, which is exceptionally good for them. I was give you $20 Australian for this shoddy pair of shorts. And they go, oh, no, no, dirty. Like they say in Indonesian repair. Anyway, then when you finally agree on a price, they go, okay, I'll call the boss. I'm like, so you didn't make them. <laughs> this is false advertising. Anyway, linen, yes. You? Yeah, I'm a buy. Okay. You are you are very trendy, mate. I will give you that much. Um, okay, so seems like a lot has been going on. We've got CSL as a buy. Mine was kind of tongue in cheek. I don't know enough, but I think it's a high quality business. MBA season buy, linen buy. We're very bullish today. Uh, what else is happening in the world of investing? I mean, the CSL story leads into this Ozempic story. Have you been following that? Yes, I did get asked about that because yeah. of Resmed. Of yeah, Resmed's been the... smashed. CSL's been anything healthcare. This to do with like long-term treatment of health issues has been smashed in the last, I think, uh, three months, six months. Yeah. Like CSL, I think they're both down over 30% in a short period of time. I think, yeah. I, have you seen the, if I bring out my 
technical analysis again on ResMed. I'll prequeen. Oh, don't. It's, okay. Yeah, that's a bit scary. <laughs> not your, the share price, not, not your technical analysis. So you're saying my technical analysis is not scary. Yeah. Okay. Rask technical analysis coming soon. Not scary. <laughs> Ahead of uh, Halloween coming up. So that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. We should do like spooky Segway. Halloween session. <laughs> anyway, the stock for ResMed is down from- from $33 to $22.68 at the time of recording. That is a firm downtrend, but it looks like it has hit support at around about $22. So this could be the formation of an upwards triangle. And it- <laughs> but this is, I mean, this is what we see in investors trying to invest money all the time or trying to build long-term portfolios. Both yes. the stocks have seemingly, yeah, there's a couple of factors there. Higher bond yields are impacting on valuations of healthcare of companies because they're longer duration or they've got long-term growth. Higher PE ratios. Yeah. But then this Ozempic, which is a treatment for either diabetes or obesity and weight management, has been basically the short-term benefits that it could, you know, help reduce the need for dialysis and sleep apnea and all these things because of, you know, lower levels of obesity. Mm. But the the market's extrapolating like a very small thing out into the future as having a significant material impact on businesses, which have all come out and said it's highly unlikely to have anything, any impact at all, let alone a material one. I don't understand how it impacts CSL. I do understand how it impacts ResMed and Fisher and Paykel to do like respiratory things. Like yeah. ResMed, uh, Fisher and Paykel is sixty percent in hospitals. They are seventy percent hospitals. So all of their like their masks and ventilators uh, are all yeah, yeah. nasal high flow and what all that sort of stuff. Um, that's acute all in hospitals, like acute treatment. And yeah. then you've got ResMed, which is at home, like the respirator. Do you sleep with it? You know all this. I, I don't understand the logic. And it doesn't say it's going to solve sleep apnea or related issues. It's just saying it's helping deal with obesity. Yeah. And I think you're still, as ResMed, I was at an Australian ethical yeah. um, event yesterday and they were looking at the company and they're basically saying that the market for sleep apnea is going to keep growing even if a small portion is coming off it at the same time. Um, but the CSL has a their, is it V4, the business or VIFOR mm. they bought two yep. or three years ago. Yep. Has a big dialysis oh, business. Course. Yes, yes. And yes, they're yes, saying yes. lower rates of obesity lead to lower you know, need for dialysis of kidneys um, and lower, lower levels of diabetes. But that's like extrapolating a recent test into a massive trend mm. in the future. And it tends to be what markets do, particularly in the US. You have this like echo chamber. Yeah. You have like <clears throat> AI was the perfect example. Yeah, AI went from this little thing to everyone holding every part of AI, and, the, and Nvidia almost you know doubling yeah. in like six weeks, yeah. and then it disappears, and then it jumps to this. So it's kind of that when everything everyone jumps on something, it can be positive and negative. Yeah, um, and we love mean reversion. Mean reversion is good. Um, yeah, you know how we always say like focus on like TAMs and expanding markets, and that is for long term structural growth. I wonder all of the. Horrible things that come from Ozempic. Which are the companies that solve the problems that Ozempic creates? Yeah. Um, I, I have a very, very strong view that in five to 10 years from now, we're going to look back on Ozempic and we're going to think what a horrible thing that was. Um, that's just my uneducated view. Yeah, I think that's what we'll say. Um, and I, I, I would, if your thesis is to sell ResMed because of Ozempic, I would say that makes no sense. Be to careful. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is my view, and uh, it's my view alone. I don't have a position in any of the stocks that we've spoken about so far, other than maybe through an ETF that holds them. Like I don't have any skin in the game for any of these things, but I do have some linen shorts. <laughs> Me and too. What, I, what I realized is when I bought these linen shorts, they um, they're not made right, so I can't pull them <laughs> the whole way up. <laughs> 
I, I actually so cannot put the shorts the whole yeah. way up, so I don't know what's going on there. Anyway. There's a brand that has great linen shorts, which- Oh, yes. And we got that discount code from July, so maybe we'll try oh, and get another yes. one. July. Thank you. We did <clears> mention <throat> July on the podcast a little while ago. The Melbourne-based, um, very- Luxury luggage. Luxury luggage. luggage. Yeah. yeah, luggage. Beautiful like, luggage. Beautiful luggage. Thank you, July. Um, send us a coupon code for, for us. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, isn't that fun, isn't it? You get a bit of a coupon code, cheeky coupon code. Um, so anyway, there is- um, I look, I think one of the things that the headlines that we probably can't go without talking about from an investor's perspective and something that got brought up a lot on Ausbiz was this idea that, you know, there's a lot of tension in the Middle East. Um, I'm not making light of it. I'm not going to dress it up. I'm not going to dress it down. It's, it was, it was a, geopolitical is what we'd call it for the sake of this yep. podcast. There's a lot of geopolitical tension going on in the Middle East. Um, and adding to the, 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 the tensions and the war in Ukraine and these types of things. And, these things can have implications because people get fearful. Yeah. I want to say people, I mean investors. Uh, investors can get fearful. And I, I, the, the most prominent examples of what may come from this is things like currency movements. And emotions drive markets, at least in the short term. Short term. Oil prices, these types of things. Um, gold. Gold. Yeah. Gold is a natural beneficiary of things like this. Can I ask a question, just a general question then, Drew? When these events occur, like we saw earlier in the year- how does that overall, does it, do you have like a philosophy of how you deal with that at the portfolio level? Is there any sort of like a- I feel like this is an unknown, unknown, like the type of conflicts that pop up out of nowhere are very hard to predict. Mm. Um, so portfolio level, we have this kind of boring approach, which is how do you build resilience in a portfolio? Mm. And half, most of the time it's holding investments that are performing poorly when everything else is doing well. Mm. So in, you know, in this environment, it's having, looking at the asset allocation level, holding things like gold, which yep. so many of our clients have questioned for such a long period of time, but it's not just an inflation hedge. It's a it's a risk and confidence hedge. So gold's done incredibly well, even though it's been falling in the US. It's the, the currency's actually held it up uh, in Australia. But you basically look at an asset allocation level and also uh, as kind of a sector and um, revenue or geographic diversification. So you don't Energy was incredibly popular last year, but energy and it and it will probably perform well out of this because oil prices go up. But that could be a short term bite, and then it becomes more difficult. Or you've got a bigger risk of uh, this crisis or um, combat, whatever we're going to call it, yeah. uh, contributing more to inflation. So if yeah. you keep it contributes to inflation because supply chains and groups and countries like Iran and Egypt and and this other oil producers get involved, well. You've got risk that inflation remains elevated and interest rates remain elevated. Sorry, Andrew Derrimuth. Yep. Um, <laughs> but there's these kind of second and third order impacts of it that just make it important that when you build a portfolio, you don't, you know, you don't go all fixed rate bonds. You have always have some fixed and floating rate. You don't go all overweight energy or underweight energy, un over or underweight. So it's just making sure you're broadly, truly diversified and aware of where your risks lie. Um, that when things happen, you're not, you know. You, you're not losing out significantly and mm. forced to make a change. We often really. see a full, that's a really, yeah, it's, it's, it's like you always say the- um, Resilience. Yeah, you're building a portfolio that is truly diversified. Yeah. Um, it survives no matter what. Um, what we often see is a flight to safety and that's why you see gold prices, um, they've bounced back a little bit in the last couple of weeks, uh, but you often see a flight to bonds. Bonds, which US has happened bonds. a little bit, but, off, but been offset by- yeah. Fed Reserve. And then the other thing that you see is a flight to US dollars, yep. um, the reserve currency. So you see a lot of 
people making those types of trades. Um, Even to quality, like yeah, quality um, in the market. So like the Magnificent Seven, which yep. is like the Amazon Alphabet, Google, Apple. NVIDIA. Yeah, money just floods back into the the big high quality companies yep. um, out of smaller companies, emerging markets, because people see them as a bit more risk mm. and volatile. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you think about it, so the NASDAQ 100, it's up about 45% so far this year. Um, the S&P 500 is about 15%. So all of the heavy, the top end, we're seeing that already. They've done all the lifting, yep. um, which creates an opportunity for investors who are willing to look further down the market cap spectrum there. But yeah, I think in terms of me personally, this hasn't changed the way I plan to build portfolios. Like it hasn't, the same portfolios that we're going, we were going to build two or three weeks ago are the same portfolios we're going to build now. Yeah, yeah. Because we just don't, like those things that we- um, those transient things are not what brings you money, I don't think. And I think there's bigger themes and trends at play, whether that's <clears throat> artificial intelligence or higher bond yields or yeah. uh, slowing global economic growth or the risk of recession. As much as this is you know, significant on a humanitarian level, in an investment and financial level, it, it doesn't. It, it's actually not moving the dial yet, which yeah. is yeah. So completely all all good things. Emotional. Um, one, maybe two more things here quickly before we get to questions, mate. Um, Netflix, what happened? Smashed it up ten percent overnight. <laughs> that's Surprisingly, it? yeah, that's it. <laughs> Keep it short. <laughs> no, they added. Uh, I think they're expecting six million uh, new subscribers in the previous quarter. So US does quarterly yep. earnings results. We're only um, six monthly in Australia, which might be. I mean, we do quarterly updates, but six monthly mm. proper reports. Yep. I think their six months might be better. I think so too. Like there's two short term to focus over there. Yeah. But 8.7 million subscribers. So that's what at least more than 30% more than expected. Another price increase. And they're getting a lot of growth in the ad supported. Um, remember, they're all running yeah. no ads and decide to add an ad support. And they're getting, I think, 30% of new signups are in the ad supported oh, wow. uh, platform and growing quickly. That's really impressive. Because um, you can no get expected. That. You can get that in Australia. You can get um, single, I think it's single screen, a single single device um, for about seven bucks. Yeah. Uh, I do not want ads online, so I'm willing to pay more. <laughs> like I got to tell you, I did not want the ad, to watch the ads. Um, I don't know about you. Do you have ads supported? I don't watch a lot on okay. TV, but I think I've just got the normal one. Yeah, I, did, I don't want ads. But that's fair enough. Like, this is always a challenge that Netflix faced in places like India or places around the world where it's expensive to run the the offering and because people can't pay the premium US dollar price. Yeah. So um, they offer the ad supported version, which is great. I think it's a great it's a good it's a good solution because people were worried like where can they go from here? Well you got price increases in one hand and then on the other hand you got ad supported. So it's a pretty good model. Uh, wonderful news overnight Drew about uh, a certain stock of ours that we love to talk about here. And not really, but Tesla. Oh, <laughs> where we go? Cybertruck, baby. That's what I had. It's here. Yeah, I don't think it's here, here it's in close. Australia. I don't think they will offer it in Australia. We'll have to find out soon. Well, it's built in China, so it's 
Closer to Australia than it's the US, isn't it? Yeah, but the problem is only 10% of the world, I think it is, drive on our side of the road. Or is it 10% of Tesla's audience drive oh, on our side so of the road? Convert. Yep. Yeah, so the conversion is expensive. That's why they don't do the Model X here in Australia, uh, yep. which is the expensive one. So cause, because the, t- the Cybertruck, which is an absolute weapon of a, <laughs> of a vehicle. Um, Everyone remember when, didn't he, was that when he shot... He threw a, a I threw a bowling ball. I think it was a bowling ball at, and it broke the window. Yeah, it like, Look break. at it. It's like nearly bulletproof. And then throws a bowling ball at it and it breaks. <laughs> I think someone forgot to put the window yeah. up the whole way or something like this. But um, yeah, so this truck, uh, I've been geeking out over this truck. Uh, it can tow 13,000 pounds. It's uh, zero to 100 in less than four seconds and it weighs six tons. <laughs> Wait time stretch four years. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it I, think, I think that this kind of truck would have to cost 160 grand in Australia. Yeah, what is it? I can't even compare to what it looks like. It's the like thing half is, DeLorean if you're old enough. Yeah, it's like, yeah, back to the future. Half monster truck. <laughs> yeah, back to the future meets a, 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 a Dodge Ram. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I don't think we'll come to Australia because there's a, a belief that it may not, even if they do want to do the conversion, it may not meet the safety requirements because it looks like it's got really jagged edges. So if you hit a pedestrian in that, like... <laughs> That's why you have the auto autonomous driving, so you don't need pedestrians. Well, I can tell you what, the autonomous driving in the Tesla at home, it, it's, 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 I don't know. Couldn't imagine parking it. I wouldn't, yeah. I mean, the, the truck is massive, but it, it's, it's got airbags, so the back tray on the back of the Cybertruck, the Tesla Cybertruck, actually drops to the ground. Yeah. And so you can just drive straight onto it with another vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's out of this world, but um, it could be a re- real wide margin vehicle for Tesla. Yeah. Uh, eventually yeah eventually it's a big it's a big truck not many people would buy in Australia so starting deliveries at the end of November yeah big sales meeting the stock dropped 10% which wasn't great and he's saying it's not going to be a cash flow contributor for at least 18 months so they're probably going to produce like what's Rubian producing like 50 cars a quarter (laughs) (laughs) yeah I saw a headline the other day Uh, it was just one of those gotcha headlines where it's like this company loses $50,000 for every car that it sells and I was like I can guess which company that is (laughs) But they look good. Yeah. So the thing is, with um, so what you, there's a wait list for the Tesla Cybertruck, and uh, I think Australia represents about three point five percent from memory of the wait list. Yeah. Um, but we're the second biggest country in terms of wait list in America. It's like seventy yeah. percent. So it gives you a sense of how much more valuable the U.S. market is to Tesla than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Um, at least for this, obviously Europe for the others yeah, is, is great, but it's an interesting thing and. Um, all right, I mean, I hope it comes here. All right, so we're gonna we, we will release a bit of a special update. We 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 have been trying to get Bill Mitchell. We'll, we'll organize that. Yeah, yeah, he's keen. Yeah, um, Drew Drew, Drew spoke to Bill. Bill's the um, is it fair to say before he comes on one of the godfathers of modern monetary theory? Yes. Yeah. So professor at University of Newcastle, I think Kyoto University in Japan, mm. advised Japanese government for a long period of time. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> wrote the book on it. Yeah, wrote the book on it. So he might, uh, I don't think he can join us in the studio because I think he's in Japan at he's the moment. He's still in Japan for three months or so, yeah. Yeah, but he, you can expect uh, Bill to come on the show, so feel free to send us your questions for Bill. Okay, let's get to some questions. Um, what did you want to do your hypotheticals? I will do the hypotheticals, but I'm going to insert uh, the disclaimer now, Drew, which is that anything that we do say, think, or gesture <laughs> <If we> on, <laughs> the, <laughs> on the podcast is strictly limited to general financial advice only. We don't know your personal circumstances. Even if you do write into us, we do ask for a funny name so that we can further anonymize the questioner and we can say that we don't know who you are exactly and you should speak to a financial advisor. 
uh, who can take into account your needs, goals, and objectives. Uh, furthermore, if we do mention things like ETFs, managed funds, super, insurance, please read the product disclosure statement or PDS, which should be available on the issuer's website. So an ETF provider will put that on their website, just like an insurance company or whoever. So go and check that out. Now, I've got some hypotheticals for you, Drew. I'm going to ask these in rapid fire because I want to get to the, the questions that we've been sent in. What's your number one piece of advice for a 20-year-old? Have fun, but don't get bad debt. Okay. So stay out of personal loans and credit card debt. Yeah, okay. That's good. I would say um, focus on your career and earning as much as you can. That's very serious. Yeah. Well, also have fun. <laughs> <laughs> so number two, what's your number one piece of advice for a 40-year-old? Oh, this is tough because me. So Okay, <laughs> Drew giving Drew advice. Find something that gives you joy in your work. Mm -hmm. So that's like, I, I spoke to someone yesterday at an event. He just basically changed careers into financial advice after, I think, 20 years in another career. Mm. And he said just as he got to 40, he stopped um, worrying as much about what people thought and pursued something that he had a lot of interest in and gave him kind of joy in, in his work. So mm, That's great. I would say... Um Find the right balance between your contributions to super, paying down your mortgage, and investing. All right. That's my serious I'm response. I'm doing life advice. You're yeah. doing super advice. Yeah. Um, because at this stage, um, you just want to make sure you're doing the regular contributions, maybe not more than what you've already uh, like used compulsory from your employer, but you want to make sure you are contributing now to benefit from the long-term compounding in the lower tax environment. And for the reason why I say both property and investing is because a lot of people prefer just to put their money in their offset account. Yeah. That's fine too. But just do something. Even if you've got kids, just do something. Finally, Drew, what's your number one piece of advice for a 60-year-old? You do with a lot of clients that are 60? You still need to think long-term. Mm. Most people at 60, they kind of narrow their investment horizon to like two or three years. You know, what's a good dividend-paying stock now? Mm. You're still going to invest for 30 to 40 years. Yeah. So don't think short term and think about how you know longevity of your capital and that you can still be patient when you're investing. You were fun for the 20 and 40 year old, but you weren't fun for the 60 year old. <laughs> I'm telling you, they can live another 35 years. <laughs> That's positive. It is pretty positive. Okay. Yeah. I would say I get financial advice. Um, <laughs> no, I genuinely would. I'd say this is, if you're 60, now is the perfect time to get financial advice because- your financial planner can help you make really meaningful changes to your current predicament and your future predicament at this point in time. Maybe a little bit, maybe 57 is a good age. Um, somewhere yeah. in that range is a really good time because you can do transition strategies. You can do- well, Most of your expenses start to disappear in your 50s. So. Yeah. This is, the, this is the golden era for you to um, get financial advice. So go and check that out. Um, there's a link in the show notes. You can get in touch with Drew and Jamie and the team at Water Partners. But you can also just visit moneysmart.gov.au. Uh, the PIFA website for someone near you, whatever. Um, but I would also say maximize your super contributions. Yeah. Um, as a general rule, like obviously we know start a pension. General, yeah. Get get into there that. Was a, there was a stat that came out uh, in the last week or so, which was that a lot of industry super, the the number of people over 65 in industry super funds that have commenced pensions is incredibly low. Hmm. So once you're 60, your pension, you can get a tax-free pension from your yeah. superannuation assets. Whereas in SMSFs, it's like, it was something like 80% of SMSFs over 60 members had started pension. And I think it was like 15 or 20% in industry funds. That's great. And so that advice, advice gap. Oh, go and do it. Okay. Question. <coughs> First question comes from Annie Position. We didn't leave much time for- No, we've questions. got about 10, 10 minutes of questions. <laughs> um, so we'll be quick. 
Annie Position says, uh, how can a new investor effectively identify and evaluate investment opportunities in the Australian share market, particularly focusing on non-speculative companies with sound financials? When traditional brokers may lack research support or interest in small cap stocks, what alternative strategies or resources would you recommend for conducting thorough research and finding promising investment options in this scenario? Annie. I'm pretty boring here, but um, <clears throat> the way I've historically done it is track down or look at some of the better, more popular fund managers that are in those sectors or have similar things. Like you find a quality manager or a value manager like Platinum uh, and basically go and look at the companies that they're holding or their top 10 and like kind of look in deeper into those and, and find the ones that interest you and kind of fit your yeah. objectives because the universe is so big. And then also listen in. Most of them do a, you know, a, a retail webinar where you can understand even ask questions about some of the companies they're holding. So I always start with the the fund managers, the active managers, and find out which ones they're preferring and then narrow my list from there. Yeah, great. Uh, I, I would add to that and just say some of the fund managers I would like to follow are Lakehouse Capital, Gains Capital Management, um, DMX. DMX. Uh, did not the rapper, <laughs> uh, but DMX uh, is uh, DMX Asset Management. Uh, even Luke Larrity comes up with some good ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, then we've got uh, you could you could just look at them, but Morningstar's good for large caps. I said really basic information. Yeah, too. they're great. But at. you did mention FN Arena in your notes here, which FN Arena run by Philip uh, Rudy Philip Beck Van Dyke is quite good. Yeah, so that does like a summary of all the broker recommendations for probably the ASX 200. Yeah, maybe not far out of that, but yeah. I mean, most brokers don't go out the out of the ASX 200 anyway. And finally, two things I would mention: my old uh, alums, uh, Claude Walker from Rich Life, does a really good job over there at richlife.com.au. And Strawman, which is a fantastic website. You do have to pay for premium features, but strawman.com is the best small cap research platform in the country, I reckon. Okay, so that's a great one from Annie. And otherwise, Annie, I, what I would say is use those fund managers, then create your own checklist. And this is the thing that I forgot to say, which I should have said. On my Twitter bio, Annie, there is a link to a Google Doc. You can just go to Owen Rask on Twitter. There's a link there. It's got analyst training. It's like a free Google Doc for about 20 pages, and it goes through all of the resources that I use. Okay, Super Saver says, we know that a substantial majority of active ma managed funds do not beat the market consistently and add unnecessary costs like commissions. Uh, hence the success of, quote unquote, low fees, broad-based ETFs for the long run. Our super fund money is being actively managed by a fund manager. Therefore, wouldn't it be better to just buy inside of our super a couple of these cheap ETFs? Can we actually do that? Would that also save us part of the commission that the super fund is charging us for the active investment management? Drew? It depends. Oh, God. <laughs> like a lawyer. There's like three, there's wrinkles to, you know, there's three wrinkles to this question probably. One is, can you buy ETS within your super fund? And depending on what it is, you, you generally can. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be a Australian super member direct. It could be a platform. If you've got a finance, whether it's a financial advisor or a fund manager, mm -hmm. if it's an advisor, you'd basically want to make sure you're having a conversation about what your objectives are from your advice. Like, do you are you worried about cost? Are you worried about active versus passive? What is your view on the volatility of your capital? Um, so that's probably... One question. And yeah, there's no, you just have to understand what you're giving up or what you're gaining by going active versus passive. As you know, I say it all the time, active and passive. Yep. Like we'll use both within portfolios. I think active is more relevant for retirees generally. Um, there is the, I had the additional wrinkle, which is that the numbers around active versus passive underperforming are kind of a little bit jaded that yeah. we've talked about a lot. There are a lot of index hugging active managers included in those numbers. But if you go to someone like Morningstar or Mercer, 
who narrow down a universe of active managers, there's a significantly higher portion of the managers they view as quality tend to outperform over yeah. the long term. So there is, it's a very broad base, but I, that's why we see a role for both in most portfolios. And I'm wary of uh, calling it, you know, we're using the word commissions. So yeah, I don't know yeah. what that means. I think what we're referring to is just the investment fee. So if yeah. you're in an ETF, you might be paying an investment fee of say 0.1% to BlackRock. But if you're in an active fund, that could be 0.8% to Magellan or someone yeah. similar. So that's not a commission. It's basically a fee for the, the, the person investing the money or the computer investing the money for you. Yeah. Um, commissions in our industry refer to different being paid to distribute product, which yeah. don't exist anymore. So yeah. it's just making sure that, yeah. um, and everything does come into cost. I think uh, SuperSaver did say commissions in brackets after cost. Yeah, so costs yeah. are very different. Costs and fees are very different to commissions. Yeah. Commission's kind of a bit of a dirty word nowadays. And it just depends what your objectives are. If, you, if you're comfortable with the index, yeah, then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say anyone who understands how those things that say active versus passive, anyone who understands how those reports are calculated, know that it's not an actual reflection of what actually happens between yeah. active managers and passive managers. Like if you actually study those things, like everyone's like, index funds outperform active funds. This person, that's, it's very, very shallow analysis that goes into that report. So don't just take that as the one kind of gospel for all yeah, exactly. active funds are bad. Yeah. It's totally not true. And it's only Dig into the generally data. worse than large cap Australian equities, where if you go to small companies, you go overseas, you go Emerging all these markets, other asset classes, then that's where active pays off across the board, uh, usually. Anything between government bonds and yep. blue chip shares, anything in that range in between those two things, you should at least consider active management. That's why we have conversations with every client, which is what what's the most concern to you? Is it fees? Is it volatility? Is it diversification? Mm. And then make sure you balance that when you build a portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, yes, you can do it. And um, it could be smooth sailing if you do go into uh, a cheaper, lower cost super fund. Uh, but just be prepared that it's not like the perfect solution for everyone all of the time. And Index funds can be very volatile, so yep. keep that in mind too. Okay, so um, Mr. Eager to get it all happening says, my wife and I have a mortgage and an offset account with 200,000 clams in it. Net debt, just under 400K. Should we be focusing on paying off the house first with an interest rate of 5.9% or is it okay to filter away to build a $100,000 Vanguard ETF returning 12% per annum? Hmm. And also start up a couple of Vanguard kangaroo accounts for our kids concurrently. It's a kangaroo account. I have no idea. But what I can tell you is that um, contrary to this seeming like a kangaroo court, we cannot actually tell you what to do. So the word should is something that you should direct to your financial advisor uh, who can give you personalized advice. First thing to note is that a Vanguard ETF returning 12% per annum uh, nothing is guaranteed in the world of investing. So that's the first thing. Secondly, is that investing is a very personal thing. And so whether or not um, it's the right thing to do, oh, there is different accounts. They've named them after kangaroo, kangaroo wombat. Yeah. Good marketing. Interesting. Um, whether or not money should be taken out of a mortgage or not contributed to paying down the mortgage and instead invested is a totally personal decision. I've got a very... Um, good friend who is a very good investor and he does not invest any of his money in the stock market at the moment because he wants to pay down his mortgage. Why? Because it feels good. And that is fine. It actually is okay. If that's what 
the objective is, I want to feel better by paying down my mortgage, go and do that. There's heaps of considerations here, like how much equity do you have? What's the value of your property? Mm. What's your loan to value ratio? And then risk tolerance. the risk tolerance of both of you, though. We've met plenty of couples where one has a very different risk tolerance to the other. One person wants the debt gone. The other person wants to use that debt and debt recycle. So there's no perfect answer. It's what suits you and, mm. and what your other objectives are. If you want to buy another house or if you want to do something different, this kind of sets you on in, in motion. Um, and I'm always aware of anyone that says 12% per annum from a Vanguard ETF because we know that, I think you mentioned that before, Nothing. This guaranteed. isn't a straight line. Yeah. Uh, we, well, there's an assumption, I hear it too many times, that you know ETFs will give you 9% per year. They will over 30 years, <laughs> but there will be years. You know, you've seen the GFC in the last few years where it'll be 27 down one year and 20 up the next year. Well, yeah. We were talking off air before on there. The NASDAQ up 40% plus this year, S&P 500 up 15%, yep. Aussie market up 1.7% so far. Exactly. FTSE, I think, is up 1%. Bonds are down 12%. Like, so it's not a straight line. It's, and you could have yeah. 10 years of sideways returns like the 1970s, but the 50-year return is still 9%. Yeah. So just be very mindful of focusing very much first and foremost on what are your objectives. As a couple, what are your objectives? If you want to be financially free in 10 years, it's a very different conversation to if you want to be financially free in 20 yeah. versus five. Mm -hmm. um, you're doing a wonderful thing in getting ahead on your mortgage and starting to pay down using an offset account. Um, but at, at the end of the day, like I might say for myself, I would, in my, in my personal opinion, I want to redraw our mortgage in the future and I want to use that to invest again. But most people wouldn't want to do that, particularly later on in life. And it's that comes down to my intentions, my goals and risk profile. I kind of sit like an umbrella over the top of the strategy. All right, Drew, son, we've probably got time for... You put about four comments that were saying how good you were, if you want to read them out. Um. Where are they? Oh. <laughs> Just flexing. I They're didn't, not questions. Th th those last three or four, are they not? Okay, what about this one? The, do you want to do the name is Bond? James Bond? Yeah, let's do that. The name is I've Bond. I've got a short answer to this James one. Bond. Okay, this is a good one. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wind up into this question, okay? I'm going to read it in its entirety. Question it goes... A question on behalf of investors who also have a mortgage with an offset account and is also a long-term holder of shares. Does an allocation to fixed interest make sense? Offset accounts offer 6% plus tax-free guaranteed return. Better than cash and short-duration bonds. Long-duration bonds could do well if interest rates decrease. But assuming one was also a long-term holder of shares, these would also be expected to do well in these conditions. Wondering if you thought there was any benefit to fixed income except for reducing it's getting there, except for <laughs> reducing volatility. Sorry, just looking at my watch. Which would be less of a concern for a long-term accumulator many years from retirement. So is there any benefit to fixed income except for reducing volatility? No. Controversial. <laughs> so there's no I mean, you're talking about investing in your personal name instead of putting it against debt. Well, there's two questions here. Does an allocation of fixed interest make sense? In a diversified portfolio that isn't leveraged? Yes. It has, I think we had in the show notes, I think over 15 year bond yield is now for Australian government bonds over 5%. So you can put money in, in bonds and get 5% before tax. But this person's saying if they're investing for 20 or 30 years, say, would they've got a mortgage and they can use an offset account? Get a tax free account, tax free uh, return of probably if your mortgage rate is six, then if depending on what tax rate you're on, your guaranteed return is like 8% or 9%. So, 
So you're saying all in the offset count, baby. At least for the time being. Yep. And mainly if you're going to be putting it in your personal name and you're in a high taxable income. Yep. If you, you know, then you're just looking at basic um, return calculations. If you're putting in your super fund, then that's where you want to put diversification. Yeah. So they're, they're, the opportunity they're making a very good point here about um, it, an offset account is the best option, but a lot of people don't have the option of an offset account. So then yep. fixed income does protect you and it provides some cushion that then you can redeploy that money when the stocks fall, for example. But they actually touched on a deeper question here that is more mathematical in nature. They actually talk about, well, is there a benefit because we, we add bonds to the portfolio to deflect some of the volatility. Yeah. But if you've already got long duration assets, so in this, what does that mean? Investments that are more sensitive to interest rates. Yeah. If interest rates fall and you're invested in healthcare stocks, for example, the value of those healthcare stocks should go up because interest rates have fallen, just like bonds would go up. Exactly. So are you getting- Bond proxies. Yes. So are you getting more bang for your buck by using those instead of long duration bonds? And the answer is probably mathematically, yes. And technically getting the same return if you put it in- yeah, and offset, the offset versus bonds at the moment. And there probably is a mathematical equation here that would show that you could use an offset account as your cash and your proxy fixed income bucket for income. And then you could use long duration shares like growth shares. You just have to think about it that way and compartmentalize it. Which is very hard to do for a yeah. lot of people. A lot of people would see their bond portfolio, their stock portfolio banging up and down this way and that. And at the end of the day, bonds are pretty safe. Yeah. Bonds are a bet that- When they did negative 14% in 2020. Two and they're down again this year. Well, I'm not saying the stock market's going into the Great Depression, <laughs> but if we did go into a period, like say, I mean, I'm, I'm pro like bonds, say, well, very pro bonds. Yeah, me too. And Just so, like, not in a taxable entity yeah. that's leveraged. So, say for example, like uh, Japan over the last little while, or like the U.S. stock market in the, I think it was the 30s, late 20s. That was a horrible investment for a very long time. Yeah. Even Australia wasn't that good from the top of the GFC right to about 2015, 2016. Even from then to now. Yeah, it hasn't been that great flat. other than dividends. So it's not always a sure thing is what I mean to say. Yeah. So you want to cover all bases and diversify. What were these other things about? I, I can see like the- Oh, okay. you're in trouble in one of them. Uh, so you've added, you forgot to put some uh, checklists in the show notes. So no need to be sorry, just be better. Please, Owen. Um, okay. I went to buy Amazon shares in 2005, but then I got higher. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, apparently. Credit to you. Um, uh, oh, this the is the one. show notes for uh, uh, Fiona uh, Belzar. Uh, you mentioned uh, they were putting a link in the AS, to the ASA checklist on management. I did not do that. I will do that. So SEO firms. That's interesting. I don't know what that. What's that all about? They're asking. Uh, you're talking about you know the role of SEO, and there's been some dodgy groups in SEO. Yeah. We had a good experience with a group called Bring recently. Yeah. Uh, on a couple of our publications. Um, but the, you know, you're looking, you're looking, if you want to look for a good SEO group, you, this is getting into business podcasts, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, but look that's at okay. the clients they're working with and the other groups they're working with generally. Um, not necessarily the emails that come into your inbox every day. Ah, so I would love your opinion on people that email you regarding SEO. You know, how you get those dodgy emails that are like, yeah, yeah. would you like to optimize your website? <laughs> you don't need to put an accent. <laughs> <laughs> don't, know what that, don't know what accent that was. Um, I used a company 15 years ago and they turned out to be, what did they say? Fraudsters. Do you think they have cleaned up the industry and are of any use? Cheers, Stuart. Um, I would not do that. There is a wonderful podcast on the internet. It is free for anyone to get. It is called The Blogging Millionaire. If you want to learn how to do SEO, it is the single best resource on the planet. I can almost guarantee you that. And it is so well hidden that no many people know about it. So the things he talks about on there are absolutely ex exceptional. 
the blogging millionaire, if you want to learn about SEO, that will be what you need to know. And then you speak the language of anyone that tries to email you and sell you something. Okay, Drew, this has been a lot of fun. People who want to get financial planning can head to waddlepartners.com.au or better yet, just go to the link in your show notes. You'll answer some questions that will get sent across to the Waddle Partners team and they'll be in touch. If you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter at Owen Rask or on rask.com.au. The winner of this week's best question to name gets a free pass to the Value Investor Program. Drew, I would like to go with... Christopher Allen Joyce. We didn't even read that question. I'll save that for next week. I'll go for Mr. Eager to get it all happening. Who asked about the Vanguard ETF? Yeah. Mr. Eager to get it all happening. If you're a Mr. or Mrs. or however you identify, send us an, uh, a message via the RASC websites and we'll get you a pass to the Value Investor Program. Do we have a dad joke for this week, Drew? We do. I was just trying to find the, the right one here. Okay, it's always a pressure, hard yep. pressure at the end. So what do you call a beehive without an exit? Unbelievable. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. Yeah, I'll give you like an eight or a nine for that yeah. one, mate. Write into Appreciate us and let us know how Drew did with this week's joke. Um, if you do want to send a question in for next week, please do so. Or a dad joke. Or a dad welcome. joke. Send us anything that would help us out because clearly we need it. Um, you can also uh, check us out, if you like, at the upcoming um, ASA uh, investor event. This is a virtual investor event. Use the coupon code RASCCOMP, R-A-S-K-C-O-M-P, and you get a ticket for free. On the 26th of October, uh, Drew and I will also be here in Melbourne for the Waddle Partners Retirement Event. It's for anyone yes. over 45, but have we sold out, Drew? No, we still got tickets, I believe. Oh, really? So, yeah. Waddle Partners Retirement Event. It's in the show notes. I can guarantee you that tickets there is, this one is in the show notes every week. Yeah. Um, there's only like five or 10 tickets left. You can come along. It's a free event. Come chat with us, um, speak to the Waddle Partners financial planning team, fund managers, you name it, are going to be there. So, good bit of fun, chance to get out and about. Drew, as always, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.